Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fly on the Wall. I'm Alan. And I'm Haley, and today we're bringing you another great episode. Our guest today is Tim Lim. Tim previously worked on President Obama's re-election campaign in 2012 through Gen 44 and on Hillary Clinton's national finance team in 2016. He has also worked on digital strategy at the Bully Pulpit Initiative and now has his own political consulting firm. We are lucky to have Tim as a fellow here at GU Politics this semester. Speaking of fellows, we have a whole class of great fellows. This is the third one we're bringing to you on Fly on the Wall. We previously brought you Josh Pitcock and Aaron Connaughton. Now we're lucky to have Tim. Uh, Tim's discussion groups, as he'll mention later in the episode, are Mondays at 2 on digital campaigning. Make sure to go uh, and stay tuned to find out what food he has. While you're at it, make sure you follow us on social media. We are at Fly on the Wall Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And feel free to email us with some feedback, flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Without further ado, let's jump into the interview with Tim. Tim Wynn, welcome to Fly on the Wall. We're very excited to have you. Excited to be here. Thanks, guys. So let's uh, jump right in. Uh, I want to start off by talking a little bit about some of the campaigns you've worked on. Um, and you consulted a number of them, including uh, President Obama's re-elect and Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign. So talk a little bit about your role with the Obama re-elect campaign with GEM44 um, and, and your role as a member of Hillary's National Finance Committee. So, yeah, you know, for Obama for America, it was right after, actually, his uh, the, the 2008 election. There was a group of us who were very active, young-ish, um, who wanted to, uh, you know, get ready for the re-elect. We knew that we knew there was going to be a re-elect in 2009. Um, so we got together and realized maybe there should be like a group of folks who are, you know, in young professionals and organize and get ready um, rather than just kind of waiting until the election, uh, right, which is what it normally happens. You wait until, you know, a year before the election gets started. So. Into it, we got we we said put together a proposal. We sent it to the Democratic National Committee, and we said, "Let's do a young professionals group now. Let's get it ready. Let's get it going. Let's set up chapters, etc." And there was, you know, there was a, there were several of us involved at the time: Noah Shaw, David Bird, Andrew Court, and we did this big kickoff event. Uh, we called it Gen Forty Four. We had a big kickoff event uh, in DC. Had had some. We had like a star from Gossip Girl. That was really cool at the time. Nobody knows what Gossip Girl is anymore, but uh, it was very cool. And and then we started, you know, we started just doing a lot of events. Uh, and then that obviously progressed into um, the the campaign. And that was, you know, mo- it was it was primarily driven by fundraising, but it was also a way to build community and get activists to know each other and really talk to a group of activists who normally don't get a lot of attention, right? This young professional group that we talk about um, a lot and we think is very important, but it's, you know, not, um, sorry. And you got a phone ring outside the studio. Yeah, I've, I've never gotten, I've never <laughs> seen a call from this to that number. So that was, uh, that freaked me out. But um, yeah, so I think that that's something that I wish more campaigns would spend a lot more time on and energy on. It's not something that's a priority. And it's really the only way that we can get the next generation of bundlers and fundraisers into the fold. So, and then for Hillary, that kind of just what I had done, I just kept doing, which is bundling and fundraising and, 
and you know relying on my network and on all the you know great folks that have been you know helping me out um been able was able to raise you know uh some cash for the campaign um and it was you know it was it was great i think that we you know like as i've said to other i think 2020 is going to be a huge opportunity for a lot of uh fundraisers and i really hope that there's campaigns who see that you know maybe someone in their 30s who's going to be doing some bundling is really important and we should talk to them and we should relate to them and not just rely on the same the same people over and over again do you see yourself having any role in fundraising in 2020 um, I, I would love to, I don't have a favorite right now, but I also, uh, I'm sure that there's going to be more candidates coming out. Um, I, you know, it's crazy that we're talking about 2020 when we haven't even gone through the midterm elections yet. Uh, every year it just seems like every, every cycle just feels like it just goes f- further and further out. Um, but no, I like at this time I'm, I'm still waiting and seeing. Um, so you've, you know, obviously devoted, as you said, a huge amount of time in a big part of your career to raising money for Democratic campaigns. Uh, what do you like about it? What's fun about fundraising? Um, there, there's a lot that's not fun about fundraising. So let's put that first. It's not, there's a lot that's not fun. The, fun that, the part that's fun is the, the networking, um, the challenge of it, right? You're, there, there's legal limits to how much you can get, so it's not like you go to one person and you get all the money, you have to go to a lot of folks and be able to raise. And so there, there's the challenge of organizing a community, a network of folks, and, and convincing them that this is a worthwhile effort. Um, you learn a lot about people, right? It's like it's almost like psychology 101, right? You learn what drives them, what motivates them. I mean, what, what drives someone to give, you know, an entity money without anything in return? Like, that's kind of a... It's kind of a complex challenge. Um, and because I'm also on the digital side, I get to see how the fundraising is happening online and on email. So kind of being able to see that whole view, right, between the large, the, the higher donors and then the more grassroots donations coming in, you're kind of seeing the whole ecosphere and how these campaigns get funded. Um, so that's the, the, that's the most, like, intellectually stimulating part about it. The, the fun part is, um, that was telling me all about this uh, last time is that um, you get to like meet a lot of really cool people and you get to see a lot of really cool things. I think uh, for me, (laughs) I think through fundraising, I've been able to see more concerts than I've been able to see through my non fundraising life. Um, (laughs) And I mentioned, you know, back in 2000, uh, 2008 for the democratic convention in Denver, uh, I think I saw like five concerts and one of them was like Kanye West and Jamie Foxx for, for um, Barack Obama. And that was like, that was so cool. And then the next day it was, it was, um, uh, gosh, I am forgetting the name of the band. I, well, it was like Fall Out Boy was like right after that. And there, there were like five concerts. And then like every, so every convention, I just basically like take that time to catch up on all the concerts that I didn't get to. Like in 2016, I got to introduce The Roots for a concert, for a party that we were hosting. And that's, you know, that's not something you get to just kind of do on a normal everyday basis. Great. So like you said earlier, um, the past few cycles have had huge surges in grassroots fundraising, especially online. Yeah. Um, do you view that as a positive development and good for the future of campaigns? Um, it, it obviously is a, it, it's a great development, right? We, we, I think 
Democrats in particular, we want more money coming in from small donors, you know, from, I don't want to call them small donors, but from donors who are not, you know, going to have an outsized impact. Like you want a community of folks who want to donate and also vote and get active and volunteer. I think it's, it's an overall good effect. Um, I think the part where we have to ask ourselves is the strategic portion of donations, right? So when you have, you know, basically a, a community of folks kind of fundraising, giving money based upon how they feel and what they know, you know, it's hard to be strategic, right? It's hard to like be able to raise all this money and then distribute it in the correct, in, in like the most strategic ways. And I think that's where we just have to ask ourselves, like, how can we do that better, right? Because there are going to be candidates who are raising a ton of money and, you know, they necessarily don't have the best chance. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they shouldn't be raising a lot of money, but if, you know, they're raising millions of dollars and you're just asking yourself, what are we doing? Like, you know, you took like 10% of that and gave it to a candidate, you know, in a, in a toss up race that can make a huge impact. Um, it, you know, it, it just, it, there's, it, it's, it causes like a lot of fluidity in the, in the funding world, which, you know, there, it's, there's con pros and cons to that. And I think just as a party, we need to really ask ourselves, like, how do we adapt to this situation, right? Rather than like, rather than let, you know, rather than like, you know, just a whole world of anarchy, like whoever has the best uh, online fundraising team will raise the most money, ask ourselves, like, how can we make sure that the, the campaigns who need the money the most get the resources and we triage and prioritize? Do you think with the rise of online grassroots fundraising uh, campaigns are going to start to use that more and more, at least from an optics point of view, as a form of virtue signaling to show that they're raising money from everyday people rather than, you know, the pack? I think it's less of a, I think it's less of uh, a signaling, I mean, it's more of a necessity, like straight, you know, right, straight up, it's, it's because they have to do it, right? Um, so, uh, but I do think that they like to boast about the numbers, Right. Or they can it gives them the ability to say certain things like we're not going to take corporate PAC money. Right. Which I, I this whole thing about not taking corporate PAC money, I find to be kind of ironic because they're going to say, OK, I won't take corporate PAC money. But if someone works for a corporation, I'll take their money. So you're, you're kind of like, OK, you know, we're, we're like fibbing at this point. Like if someone from ExxonMobil gives you the donation, but you're not taking a donation from ExxonMobil PAC, uh, just can you give me the clear difference between the two? I, I'm not entirely sure. It's a nice talking point. People are going to keep using it. I think that you're going to hear a lot more. Like, you know, when you have the press release at the end of the quarter, they'll say, we had, a you know, X amount of donors give at like $20 each. It's amazing. Um, it's amazing to watch how campaigns are taking like those quarterly numbers and kind of twisting them or, you know, kind of manipulating the numbers to be like, oh yeah, we're totally grassroots. Look at this. When when you start like actually going down to numbers, you're like, that's not true at all. Um, but it's 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 an interesting development. I think the one, the last thing I'll say is, and sorry we're ranting on this topic because I have a lot of thoughts on this, uh, is that you're going to see a lot of 2020 campaigns survive a lot longer uh, because of it, mm. right? So like normally what happens, especially this, this is, and, right, there's Democratic and there's Republican. I'm just talking about Democratic campaigns. This is not happening in the Republican campaigns with online fundraising. But Democratic campaigns, on the Republican side, it's a, it's a fight for, like, the small class of donors that you can fight for. And when you, when you lose their support, you have to get out of the race. On the Democratic side, if you have strong online fundraising, you can keep going past, you know, 
your your declared like DOA date, right? So you can if you lose primaries, you can still keep going going because you can still be getting online donations, which could lead to a very interesting convention in 2020. Great. Well, one of the things that you have done is start your own business, uh, and you kind of switched from campaigns to having that consulting firm. And we're wondering what motivated you to make that switch, and what do you like about it? <coughs> Sorry. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I was at Bully Pulpit uh, for six years and was doing digital advertising for campaigns. Um, and I realized I just, I, wa- I didn't want to be known as just a digital strategist. I want, you know, my, my background, my, my history is with a lot of different parts of the campaign. We just talked about fundraising for a lot. Before that, I was doing field. Right. One of my one of my first experiences was working on Howard Dean's campaign in New Hampshire, uh, you know, doing field. And so I I am right. I, what I want to do is think about campaigns more generally, comprehensively, holistically, however we want to talk about it. And so that's that's what I'm interested in now is like how how does a campaign look from nuts to bolts, from from soup to nuts? Just figure out what is exactly the the best type of campaign to run because I, I part of me is is has this theory that democratic campaigns today um, are running the same playbook that we've been running for the past thirty years, right? It's a lot of TV issue driven, no narrative. What's the theme? You know, we have an idea what a viable candidate is. I hate that word viability, um, and and we just I think we need folks who are going to shake things up, cause a little disruption, and and change the way we look at campaigning moving forward. So what kind of opportunities do you see to innovate in that space? Is it moving away from TV and more towards social media? Uh, you know, what, what have you been working on? Simplistically, and I'm, I'm kind of a broken record because I, I talk about this a lot. Yeah, I mean, simplistically, it's not relying on broadcast television so much. And, and, I, and I specifically say broadcast television, right? Because there's cable. Right. And there's a lot of opportunities with cable. There's a lot of opportunities with video on demand. There's a lot of opportunities, you know, when you're working with a Comcast or, 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 or AT&T to target people on their devices, not just their, their TV. But for some reason, which I'm still grasping with and I have a lot of theories about, but there's for some reason, Democratic campaigns spend way more money on broadcast television ads than than the Republicans. Right. And it makes no sense because who's our target audience? Right, our target audience is not the folks who are watching NCIS on 8 p.m. on Tuesday. In fact, I don't know anyone who watches NCIS. I I tried watching it the other day just to figure out what is it I'm missing, and I'm I see a lot of there's a lot of pharma ads and there's a lot of life insurance. So I'm starting to get the idea that maybe we're not you know we're not spending the money correctly. But yeah, it, it kills me that we spend so much money on on broadcast live television ads, and we're not getting across to the folks that are our base audience, right? Younger younger voters, minorities. Like, if you look at all the media trends for these target audiences, they're not spending more time on broadcast television, right? So, so, I, so I ask all of my, my, camp, my media consultant friends who are, who are suggesting, you know, a thousand points on, uh, you know, CBS every week and wasting, you know, tens of millions of dollars is, you know, why? Right, and so that's I think there's innovation there, but there's more than that, right? It's not just about advertising. If you look at campaigns like Better Work, and you look at campaigns um, that have a real, they have a real social media component that's not like just a an add-on, right? Like Better Work is running a campaign that is, in my opinion, like the the best uh, 
kind of messaging comms, you know, digital campaign that I've seen in a while. And it's authentic, right? It's like showing who he is, it's showing what he can do. So that's kind of the campaign that I want people to, to adapt moving forward. I think he's spending too much money on TV, but that's, you know, everyone's spending too much money on TV, so. So one last thing uh, before we let you go, one final segment we like to do here on Fly on the Wall is the lightning round. Uh, so we're just going to ask you a couple questions. Not too hard, I promise. Okay, um, okay. And just I'm ready. That comes to mind. Uh, so number one, coolest person you've met at a fundraiser? I, I, I don't know why I keep referring to Kanye West, and he's not very popular. <laughs> um, I mean, right now it's not very popular to say that, but that was that was weird. Jamie, I mean, Jimmy Fox was another. That, that was pretty cool. Jamie Fox, like, yeah. Let me let me take out Kanye West. We'll go Jamie Fox. Jamie Fox, okay. And uh, what's your favorite concert that you've been to at convention? I the Roots concert that we hosted in 2016 was was like it was crazy. It was like the most like amazing thing we've we've ever done. They grew some. I I I love the Roots before like okay. they went on Jimmy Fallon. So yeah. I I mean I've been listening to them for a while now. So the fact that they started to finally you know explode is makes makes me very happy. But um, yeah, when when they were available, we're like yeah we got of course we have to like book them. It's, they're Philly. Awesome. Well, Tim, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Uh, great conversation. Really enjoyed um, the interview, and uh, we're excited to have you here. Oh, I almost forgot. Uh, you're a fellow. Tell us about your discussion group. Uh, when is oh it? oh yeah, I am a fellow. I, I yes, I'm a fellow. <laughs> um, uh, our our discussion group, my discussion groups. I feel like it's ours because my student strategy team is so incredible. Uh, Mondays at two o'clock, uh, and we will we have the best food, so please come. <laughs> Uh, compared to all the other fellows, we'll have what, the best food ever. What food ever. did you have this week? We had Korean fried chicken. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right, that, you, yes. you yeah. And this, okay. this week is dumplings. Uh, uh, we'll have, a, we'll have a, a, t- a whole spread of dumplings from all sorts of different places. All right, so you heard him. Mondays at 2, best food on campus. Uh, be there, be square. Tim, thanks so much. For Great. Really Thank you. It. Now, I don't know about you, but I think Tim has some great food, and I'm really looking forward to those dumplings at his discussion group on Monday. Yeah, make sure you show up at 2 o'clock. Yep. Uh, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fly on the Wall. We're happy to have you. And remember, if you have any comments or questions, you can reach out to us. Make sure to subscribe, and we will see you next week.